everybody, it's the Mankind Podcast. Kind men, listen to this podcast, The Revolution of Masculinity, with your host, Scoop Magruder! Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Scoop. Thanks for tuning in. We got a lot of shit to shoot. Today's guest is a very dear friend. We're going to talk a little while to it through the lens of masculinity. What is that? Hey, I don't even know, but it's time for you and me to get real with it. Yeah, it's time for the show. Hey, folks, thank you so much for tuning in to the Mankind Podcast. I'm your host, Scoot Magruder. With me, as always, is Mike, Mike 1 and Mike 2. But because we're in the quarantine, the other person is via FaceTime, so he's got a microphone all his own. Uh, today's guest is a wonderful uh, friend of mine. We actually met in uh, the early 2000s when we were both members of the Sigma Phi Epsilon Fraternity at SMU in Dallas, Texas. And at that point, the fraternity was uh, undergoing this uh, revision, this renaissance. They'd kicked off all the guys uh, prior to us because of some, you know, thing that they did. And so they were able to start anew. And we um, uh, used the balance man philosophy that the SIGEP fraternity is actually uh, umbrellaed by. And it was a really wonderful moment in my life because... I was able to be surrounded by, you know, 50 or 60 young guys who were trying really earnestly to become uh, the best version of themselves. And it was a great experience for me to be a part of the SIGAP fraternity for this reason and to meet this uh, incredibly uh, insightful, remarkable uh, individual. His name is Dale Thomas Vaughn. And uh, last time I saw him was in 2003 until recently. Uh, and and now that we're, um, uh, it's just remarkable to see the progress that he's made uh, as a man, as an individual, and it's just my honor to bring him here to the uh, Mankind Podcast. A little bit about Dale. Dale Thomas Vaughn is a certified specialist of wine, an ASA certified sailor. He's written nine books, six of which are published on Amazon, has traveled around the world, run with the bulls, completed the dual pilgrim certification from UNESCO by trekking hundreds of miles. He's lived in Paris, London, Los Angeles, has built a loving long-term relationship, played competitive sports at the highest level, spoken on stages with legends like Gloria Steinem and Tony Porter, earned a master's degree in sociology, co-founded the Better Man Conference, which is the first and largest conference dedicated to engaging men as allies in the equality movements, all while advancing a marketing and business development career with companies like Southwest Airlines, Ticketmaster, and Airtrex. Dale was even in Cirque du Soleil for a day. He believes that there's nothing in the world that can't be learned or achieved if you are interested and can dream it. And before we get to our conversation, uh, I just want to let you know that we have a huge amount of gratitude to our sponsor, uh, Spitz Mediterranean Street Food. They got 10 locations, four in LA, four in Utah, one in Minneapolis, one in Portland, and they have exceptional uh, donor-style kebab, uh, shaved meats, falafel, salads, pita chips, sweet potato fries. Their food sources from organically grown farmers, uh, local here to the Southern California region, at least for the uh, locations here in LA. Um, and they have amazing uh, uh, business practices. They take care of their employees. And right now during the COVID-19 quarantine, um, they have what's called the general store and they provide toilet paper, um, you know, uh, needs that you might have, plastic latex gloves, masks, uh, dry pasta. And uh, it's just an amazing resource. And I recommend checking it out. Um, Spitz Mediterranean Street Food. So, folks, again, thank you so much for joining us. This is the 10th episode of the Mankind Podcast, and it's an honor to have you here. Uh, if you like what you hear, you can uh, subscribe uh, on Apple Podcasts, give us a review, rate us, share us on your social media feeds. Let's get the word out because what we're trying to do is create a safe space uh, where men and women can explore masculinity. And I feel that no one else could be a more perfect guest for this episode than the one, the only, Dale Thomas Vaughn. How are you? All right, right. How's it's Pittsburgh my... on this Friday? It looks beautiful outside. We got blue skies, puffy clouds. I'm uh, celebrating a 12-year anniversary with my lady today, so... Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. What was good? Yeah, what will you guys do? How will you celebrate it? Uh, it's kind of hard to do that with the 
quarantine, but we've been hosting a Friday night game night with our friends, so we'll probably do that. Uh, open a bottle of champagne, that kind of thing. Oh, cool. Um, you know, we have talked about uh, she wants to learn how to paint, mm-hmm. so I think I might teach her how to paint this afternoon. Are you a painter? You know how to paint? Uh, there was a time when I was a painter, so hopefully I can recall all that. Okay. I don't think, it, I don't think it's lost. I'm sure I'm not practiced, but the you know applying of oil to canvas I can still do. Okay. Okay. Congratulations, yeah. man. 12 years. Thanks. How'd you guys meet? In Santa Monica playing volleyball. Okay. Beach volleyball, yeah. Oh, that's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, yeah, it's... There's a whole article yeah. about us in the LA Weekly. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah. Like today or a recent article or back in the day? No, this is probably from six or eight years ago now. What, what did it say? Uh, it was during their February, their, uh, you know, Valentine's week special about power couples in la and it was about uh just about us yeah yeah that's so cool because you um emissary might not be the right word but you represent kind of the not not to pigeonhole what it is you do but you represent masculinity uh in terms of inclusive opportunities for um all sorts and and your partner um is kind of on the the feminism side um not not that i'm not putting it in the right words but if you guys are a power couple you know it's almost like is that fair uh yeah i think that was the initial kind of push for the article was that they liked the idea that i was leading a men's group and she was leading a women's group and so this, this there's this idea of like if you can put you know somebody who's really versed in masculinities and somebody who's really versed in femininity together what does that look like mm-hmm. i think we were an example of that so that's that's really cool and it's not perfect or anything but i think we one of the things that one of the things i've learned in being in a relationship with her is how valuable the um the interplay and and mastery of both masculine and, and feminine energies among both of us is so like there it's not that i'm the more the more masculine and so therefore i should be the male masculine guy all the time and she's the feminine and should be the female woman feminine all the time it's that we both you know everybody has masculine and feminine energy within them and kind of expressions of masculine and feminine um so the mastery is being able to bounce between them artfully you know to dance in that so that's what I've learned. Yeah. Like maybe, um, do, do you find like patterns throughout the day? Like at five o'clock in the evening, you are, you know, at your most masculine or she's at her most feminine or. It can, it can change from minute to minute. I think that having a language to talk about it is really helpful for us. So like being able to say, you know, a lot of this comes down to simple things like leadership. You know, if, we're trying to choose a restaurant or we're trying to yeah. choose a game to play <laughs> or a movie to watch. Okay. Um, if one of us is feeling in particular, they're masculine and is like really directed. And when I say masculine, I mean directed like linear thought one to two to three to four. Okay. Um, then that typically takes leadership because it's so quick to make decisions. But the feminine is a really, um, is a really beautiful way to lead as well in that it takes in multiple kind of all options and opportunities and possibilities. It's very like the, when I'm in my feminine, I'm much more expanded and I have more kind of lit, you know, I don't think linear. I think to the side, I think in the corner, I think outside of the box. And so often if you pair them together in those situations where you're trying to choose a movie or trying to choose a restaurant, they can get frustrating if you're not talking about the way you're thinking. Oh, interesting. So if we're, if we're both in our masculine and we're both choosing a direction, yeah. then we can butt heads unless those directions happen to coincide. But if we're both in our feminine and we're just like, I don't know, whatever you want to watch, <laughs> we'll sit there in that I don't know, what do you want to watch forever. Okay. Um, 
because we're actually just being open as you know we're being feminine people at that time but if we're able to talk about it and say i need you to take the lead on this i'm i have multiple things i could watch and be interested in tonight what do you like really feel and then we guide each other in that way so having the the language to talk about it makes all that easier right okay and i can imagine that with the quarantine that you know with i mean more uh time than not to watch stuff (laughs) that maybe you probably run up against that i mean for lack of a better example that's probably something that comes up a lot sure so what what are (laughs) yeah what, what are you watching these days um, well, I just, you know, went through a Harry Potter phase with her cause she hadn't seen all of them. So we watched the last four or five movies of Harry Potter, okay. um, in a row. <laughs> That's the kind of thing you do in a quarantine, right? <laughs> right. Like, what things haven't we watched? Let's go look at those things. Like consecutively in one day? Yeah. In one... Oh well, no. It, in, in the last you know, a week or so. Okay. Cool. So, um, I mean, Dale, you have had for the past 20 years, it sounds like, um, an incredibly prolific, uh, creative, uh, business. Um, you advise, um, corporate, uh, you know, corporate people on, on how to have inclusive, uh, uh, behaviors and activities for, for members of all walks of life. You, ha- mm-hmm. you work one-on-one with individuals, um, helping men to have a better understanding of their masculinity and how their being is is uh, impacts the world. Um, I had a really fun time kind of diving into uh, some of the TED Talks that you've done. And uh, one in particular that I, I w- really found fascinating was this TED Talk you did on the crisis of masculinity. And yeah. y- you said that the problem is uh, there's kind of like a problem-solution structure that you format the problem is that men have the tendency to be tough, silent. They embody this um, mindset of being the lone wolf. And, and then you talk about the solution. There's a solution of being, uh, of being introspective, respectful, and connect. Can you describe a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, I think in... In the traditional model of masculinity, we've been taught a very tribalistic, very lonely, isolated version of masculinity. And this is embodied in the John Waynes and the John Wicks of the world today, right? Like, go be isolated, and that's the best kind of man you can be. And what that does is it sets us on a road that is numb, that is... I think it detracts from the rich inner lives that men typically have when they have a relationship with other people. Mm. Um, So what it does is it leads men, I think, down this very gray, very binary, very lonely sort of path. And And during that path, I think what happens is we stop introspecting because we don't get challenged by people we respect around us. Mm. We don't connect with others, and so we don't get into our own depth And we live a very shallow life. And that shallow life can get very frustrating as well. So that isolation, that numbness, that that traditional set of masculinity is heavy. And one of the ways to kind of break out of that, I think, is to do that initial work of introspection. Who am I? What am I about? What is my inherent goodness? What are my inherent weaknesses? Some of that you can do by yourself, but I think it's also really helpful to have other people in your life. So then as soon as you start doing introspection, It requires going out and finding people you respect to mirror you, to have conversations with you, to push you. And when you do that respect work, then you start to get out of yourself, right? (laughs) And in that process of acting on the respect, of acting on what you want to see your life look like by by including somebody else you respect in your life, (laughs) you purposefully start connecting. And the more I think we as men start to connect, the more we realize how we are group people. We've been we've been forced into isolation, which is not who we are. We mm. we love being, if we're honest, we love being in groups. We love being on teams. Yeah. We love being in community. And, mm. and we've been told not to like that thing. It's like we've been brainwashed away from our nature. So I think that one of the things we've also noticed, like now especially, is that this, this next generation of men um, – you know, this golden age of masculinity that we have in our minds is not in the past. It's in the future. Hmm. That that we we can't live a tribalistic, isolated life 
and be fulfilling, have fulfilling lives. And we won't be our best version of ourselves. So we have to be in this mindset of, of how can I connect with more people about the, the depth of my experience, the depth of the world around me, the depth of relationships? How can I have this, these kinds of connections in my life that are going to drive me forward as a man? And that, I think we see, drives our entire society forward. Hmm. So. Have you, I'm curious to see like an example of how that has driven our society forward. If, if we do surround ourselves with, with people who challenge us, um, I mean, I, I don't disagree it for a second. I know that in my own personal life, if I, sometimes I do things like I know that like pornography, for example, it is this isolating thing and it causes a deep sense of shame in me. And if I live in this place of shame, I don't want to include anybody else. And so I find that I have to break through that and stop this behavior so that I can be in a place where I can receive others or I can be there for others. And so that's like a personal struggle that I've had. But I find that as I um, shed light onto it, maybe by speaking to it with other people, other men that it's like, Hey, this is something that I'm struggling with. And there's like a, um, you know, cohesive ability to combat it together. So, and I've no, I've noticed that that's helped me progress. How have you seen things like, like that relationship where men get together with other men? How does that move society forward? Yeah, I think we, hold each other accountable to our best selves when we get into groups. It's very hard for me to hold the man in the mirror accountable for the things I want to do with my life. Mm. Um, it's just hard for me to do that. I mean, some people can do that really well, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I can do some of that well. Like, I can hold myself accountable for a week at a time. But if we're talking long-term, piling mm. up win after win after win, yeah, having somebody else... That other than the mirror just helps me hold myself accountable often when i host a men's group i'm you know i'm just mirroring back what people want their lives to look like yeah. and saying okay what's the next step that your wisdom says you should do so this coming into a group is not about shame or blame or being forced to accept somebody else's way of life or philosophy it's really an, an opportunity to access the wisdom that i think is in all of us. Hmm. It's just really hard to access alone. Hmm. And I think that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing that we have all this wisdom within us. And in order to get to it, we have to connect with other people. Hmm. What hmm. a beautiful thing that has been naturally provided to us that, hmm. that we have to go and create these bridges within ourselves, but we have to do that with other people's help. Yeah. Like that, that proves again that we're this, these community creatures and the only way to, you know, go forward with that, like there's this author out there named Jack Donovan, and he talks about the way of men and the way of men being this very tribalistic sort of army mentality. Like you protect your unit, your three guys, your, your 10 people in your unit, your hundred people in your, like you, you connect only to your tribe. And that feels really at first exciting, but then you start to realize like that creates a tribalistic nature, which is naturally going to be violent yeah like, us versus them point, yeah yeah at some point it's going to be us versus them and i think we live in a global society now mm -hmm. whether we like it or not that's that's where we live so the only way forward um is to be collective to think collectively because it helps me individually to think collectively yeah and i and so you can see like the only way to protect that tribal masculinity is to deny globalism to deny climate change to reject any mm -hmm. racial mixing to double down on nationalism and i think that is exactly where the donald trump's kind of emerged from mm. in the world not just this one person but you know they're all over the place right now yeah. they're emerging because a lot of men feel ashamed to go outside of their isolated fear of themselves and connect with somebody like this is how masculinity holds us back as a person and as a society at large hmm. But this is the cool thing is right now, because of that crisis of masculinity, or maybe if you want to think of it like 
the world is in crisis and masculinity needs to shift and that shift is challenging. If you want to mm-hmm. think about it like that, that's fine. There's nothing inherently good or bad about being masculine. But we're in this thing and we have an opportunity to change what it means to be a man. And that means we have this creative possibility. We have this founder's possibility. What is the next generation? What does the golden age of masculinity look like? Hmm. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah. And so have you consciously sought out mentors? Have How have you surrounded yourself with men um, to hold yourself, to hold you accountable and to grow? What is, what's that look like for you? Um, I have had mentors my whole life. It's been one of the ways I've been privileged. I have a really great father and I uh, have two great grand, uh, my grandfathers have been powerful in my life. So I was born into this privilege of knowing what it meant to have mature men in my life who I could call on for help and support. Mm -hmm. Um, So that pattern has then reinforced itself throughout my life. I know that that's a privilege that I just naturally swim in that water. So when I, what that looks like, if you're not used to that is I look at my life, I take stock, I go, okay, which areas of my life do I feel like I need some support? Who in my life do I know who's strong in that area? Mm. And I break my life down into basically six areas or six sort of pillars that I call the pillars of masculinity. And when I look at those pillars in my life and I see any weakness, I go, okay, I want to do more with balance. So I'm trying to get into better shape. Who do I know who's a genius in in that kind of field Mm and taking care of your body? And I reach out to the people who I know and I just ask them for advice or opinions or thoughts and Almost every time, I would say 98% of the time, that person picks up the phone, hmm. they answer the email, yeah. they answer my questions, they help me because, gosh, it feels good to be recognized as somebody who could have something to offer. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've I've emailed people who are way more important than me, like with names in the world that people know, and they have replied. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, uh, I guess, I mean, even that first skill, though, of introspection, of being able to look, okay, what areas in my life do I feel weak at? That in itself is kind of like, uh, you know, a rebellion against what masculinity is. It's like, I'm not weak in anything, you know, and so there's that kind of initial thing to be able to be like, wait a second. No, I, I am these are my strengths and these are my weaknesses and to be able to honestly um, take stock of, of something like that. Yeah. I think you hit on something really important that a lot of masculinity is a performance. Hmm. So we perform what it means to be man and to stop and think about where did I start that performance? Hmm. Who am I when I take off this mask of what I think it means to be a man? And for me, when I started doing that work is when I started to understand what people meant by authenticity. People keep saying that word to me, and I I was like, what are they talking about? I'm me. I'm always me. But when I started really diving into where I'm performing what it means to be a man and got under that and started learning who I really was, and then the next step is learning to accept who I really am and work on the things that I can work on, right? So, for instance, I'll give you a, a, a concrete example. One of the ways that I was performing masculinity was by being this perfect son and perfect brother and oh. perfect boyfriend. and per- Like, I was trying to show yeah. everybody how perfect I was, the golden child kind of thing. And that was a very immature thing. It's something we all kind of all go through, some version of that immaturity. But when I started looking at how I was performing that because – my fathers and grandfathers in their in their kindness in their attempts to help me grow up and become a man had encouraged me to show this perfection to to mm. be perfect in school to be perfect in sports to be perfect in all the things I was I was doing yeah and when i got under that and realized that i was allowed to be imperfect i got to explore all of my imperfections and start to really like be who i really am that was a really beautiful moment for me hmm. and that introspection allowed me to then open up and start thinking about my the areas of my life that i really deeply intrinsically want 
to work on mm -hmm. rather than constantly working on this performance of masculinity. Hmm. The performance of masculinity. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I mean, the, my mind immediately goes to the idea of sexual performance. Absolutely. You know, and as I'm coming of age, I mean, I'm, I'll be 38 in August. I find that my sexual performance isn't as viral as it was when I was, you know, in my early 20s. And that I recognize has a profound impact on how I identify myself as a man. If I can sexually satisfy my, my, my partner, then my concept of manhood is strong. And if, mm -hmm. I, if I can't, then, um, you know, it's diminished. And, and I've found that working through that and communicating this fear with my partner has been such a helpful um, way of, of stepping into who I am that this is, this is a, a, a truth of what it is to, to, to age. Um, and, um, and I find that the intimacy or the, the honesty and the communication that we have um, in, it, it increases intimacy, then it, that in itself makes the, the sexual encounter worthwhile. Um, exactly. and, it, and it's not just about performing. Yeah, the sex is actually better. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because yeah. there's a deeper sense of respect or intimacy. Yeah. yeah. And there's an understanding that you're allowed to have a full experience rather than a performance of a full experience. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, go ahead. I think that you're hitting on a lot of the key elements of the man box, something that I, I've talked to you a little bit about before, but I want to outline that a little bit. Please. Um, the man box is a study. There's okay. The man box started in like 1995 an author named Paul Cavell wrote this concept down as you have to act like a man and it's the act like a man box. And huh. if you don't act like a man, if you don't do these specific things, then you're treated like not a man right. and you get called things like um, a pussy or a wimp or whatever. You get called a homo. You get called things that are not manly. Right. I'm putting that in quotations. Right. And so he caught, he codified that in 95 and then we started kind of doing social study research on that for the last 20-something years. And in that time, the Promundo um, Research Group has actually gone out and done this study in the U.S., in the U.K., in Australia, in Brazil. And they have found that there are basically seven pillars to the man box, like seven things that men who believe in this act-like-a-man box, uh, they believe these seven specific things. And the... People who conform to this, not just men, but women as well, the people who conform to this belief have negative uh, consequences, more alcohol addiction, more violence in their life, more suicide, more depressive, depressive thought and ideation. Um, so you can go and find more of this research if you want, but I want to go through them because mm. you've mentioned a few of them. Oh. And I think it's really important that anybody who's listening to this and wants to understand masculinity goes, okay, yeah, there's real research behind this stuff now. Because, yeah. like, my, you know, I'm listening to Skylar talk and it's resonating with my experience of what it means to be a man or what I've seen my brother go through. And is that just anecdotal or is that real? And I think it's important to know that this is real. Mm. So there's seven pillars of what real men are supposed to be. This is Michael Flood's research. Self-sufficient is one. Acting tough, like being able to act tough is two. Physical attractiveness is three. Four is the rigid masculine gender roles. What it means to be a man and what it means to be a, a woman are very rigid. Hmm. Five is heterosexuality and homophobia. Six is hypersexuality, which is something I think you just mentioned. Hmm. And then seven is aggression and control. And if you look at all of them, they really build on the same concept that that you you must be this kind of man mm. or you're not a man. Mm. And I think that's what we're breaking down right now. Mm. I think that's what we're seeing society break down right now. That's why there's a lot of conflict in the world. We're breaking down all of these things that have built the 20th century, really. Mm. And 
how cool it could be if we're as men and women allowed to redefine our gender kind of more fluidly to take out the hypersexuality and be like you said more deep in our sexuality mm-hmm. like every bit of that is shallow every bit of the man box is shallow mm-hmm. and it and it shallows our experience as men can you break down the seven pillars a little bit just to touch sure. on each one a little bit yeah, and I can give you a link to this um, data so you can look at it. And there's some really good kind of work in this space as well. Um, so a man, so in self-sufficiency, a man who basically, um, men should figure out their personal problems on their own, basically without asking others for help, right? The Lone Ranger. So when you think about that, the the beauty of that is men who are willing to be introspective and do the work inside themselves, that's important. That's important work. But you can take the shadow of that, which is you just keep staying inside yourself. At some point, you got to get outside of yourself if you really want to grow in your depth or your breadth in your life. Acting tough is the second pillar. Guys should act strong even if they're scared or nervous inside. And you can see how that's a performance rather than being true. I'm scared right now. I have fear about what I'm going to do with my finances. I don't know how to tell my woman what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm scared. I'm going to act tough. I'm going to act stony. Yeah. And that's like something that kids learn in sports or something, you know, suck it totally. up, um, you know, act tough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's acting though. I mean, we all know it. Right. Whenever but... we do it, we know it. Right. You know, when I'm whole, choking back tears because, you know, something is happening to me that I'm afraid over that's hurting me. Yeah, I know that I'm not actually letting it out. I can feel that tightness in my chest. Right. At the same time, like I find that let's take this quarantine, for example, mm-hmm. M- my partner, my fiance immediately was was scared about what the quarantine meant. Humanity changed completely. And while I was scared I felt a need to convey an image and, you know, to convey the idea that everything was going to be okay, to be tough in a way. So is there, I would imagine that in certain senses, there an ounce or two of each of, of these behaviors is acceptable or is it going off in the deep end? Yeah, I think with all this stuff, it's moderation and balance, right? Like, of course, you, if you're in a situation that you are actually in danger, yeah, you have a fight, flight, freeze mentality that is sort of programmed into you, right? You're, you're going to do that. Sometimes you're going to fight. Sometimes you're going to freeze. Sometimes you're going to flee. Like, whatever those things are, you're going to do naturally. And mm-hmm. that's this, this reptile brain. But at some point, if you want to be more than reptilian response, mm-hmm. we have to start to sit and think about, who am I going to be after I get out of this this moment of panic and right. fear? And after the panic and fear, do you have a, a practice of moving that trauma through you? Do you have a practice mm. of relating to other people that you've been through this scary, sad thing? Mm. Because if you don't, that gets stuck. And it gets stuck within you for years, maybe your whole life. And yeah. that's cancerous. You know, it's bad for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this acting tough thing is, um, and, and all of these pillars, and I think all of masculinity, it has to be said, um, there are aspects of all of these things that could be positive in your life if you did them with conscious thought. If sure. you did this with, you know, with people checking in on you, if you have, if you're sure that you're getting balance out of your life, you can do some of these things, right? You, the physical attractiveness thing, which is the third pillar, is about. Um, we, we have to be physically attractive. We have to sh- perform this appearance of being physically attractive, but we don't want to overshare our grooming behavior. Like you're mm. supposed to just kind of wake up like this. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that gets into this idea, like this is what a man looks like, mm-hmm. but men don't want to think too much about, like we're not supposed to think too much about what we look like. Right. That's a trap. And it gets... Huh. It puts women into a trap as well because then we're expecting women to show up groomed but not having worked on themselves either or maybe they work on themselves too much. Like we're 
it's a that's a rigid gender role, which kind of moves into the next one, the rigid masculine gender roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so this rigid masculine gender role thing also, you know, that gets down to stuff like household labor, like our chores at home, like which things do you do or which which things do you expect your woman to do? Mm-hmm. Right? There's a uh, that rigidity, I think, devalues the feminine, and mm-hmm. actually it creates this learned helplessness in the masculine, right? If I don't know how to do the dishes or the laundry, then I'm like, what kind of adult am I? Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Should I keep going? Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I, 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 it's interesting. Um, it makes me think really quickly, just like I have gone into competing in triathlons I love to swim, bike, and run, and those are just activities that I like to do. But there's this yeah. there's this part of me that feels like I do. I'm gonna. I'll be perfectly honest. I'm incredibly shallow in this regard. I swim because I love the that I get to be out. It's the sun. I get sure. tan, and sure. I think that I look best with a little sun in my hair and sun on my skin. And then just also the overall. I mean, the health benefit is significant but i'm not gonna lie and say that i don't compete in triathlons because it gives me a sense of competition accomplishment um you know sport athleticism and that i'm like in my in my best shape um and i mean it's kind of shallow but but i also i like the sense that it got like i i got fifth in my age group for this triathlon uh, a couple months ago and it was such a great feeling it was like oh okay cool i'm or no, I got fifth overall, uh, second in my age group, and I was like, okay, cool. This is this is a great feeling, um, but I can also tell that like the the churning of my feet on the bicycle and the running on the road and the cardiovascular effort it takes to do this, my body is almost like, dude, slow down. And there's a part, there's almost a part of me where it's like, I can't stop because I have to convey this sense of athleticism and my, and I want my and I can tell I'm getting older and I want my body to to go back to being 15 years old again mm-hmm. um and and I do, I I'm having a difficult time kind of rewiring that um for for whatever it's worth uh and just as we're talking about these pillars it just makes me look at that behavior in a kind of way yeah I'm a athlete as well mm-hmm. I have played competitive sports my whole life and I love the aspect of like I love competing I love getting into shape to compete I love the yeah. practice I love the games I love the tournaments I love the teamwork I love a lot right. of that um, I like looking in the mirror and seeing that my body's in shape right. I like feeling that sense like when I'm on the court that I have power in my body I love all that stuff there's right. nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with sport. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be good at something. I think that's a really great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when it defines me, when I feel like I'm not the the intrinsic person I am, if I'm not winning, hmm. then I start to, f- I think that's detrimental to me, mm. to my health. When I'm killing my body in order to compete in something, mm. is that actually helpful for me? Yeah, I don't point. know. I think that, again, we come back to balance. I mean, I've been giving you the pillars of everything that's kind of wrong with the man box, but there's pillars of masculinity that I conform to that that I love, that I chose, that I went through literature and research and found and said, these are mine. These are the six I care about. And you could do whatever the hell you want with your own. Build the temple however you like, Uh you know? Yeah. But one of my pillars is balance Mm. for that very reason. Like, I want to be balanced in everything I pursue. I'm going to go out there and try to be the best at this thing. Okay. What is my balance within that? Like, how am I making sure I'm not, um, I'm not doing this to the, to the death of me. Right. Yeah. Some things I do want to do until I die Hmm. and I've chosen them. I've been conscious about them. Right. You mean like pursuits, like life pursuits? yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing that we as men, it actually is really invigorating to do, yeah. to sit down and go, what is my philosophy? You know, even John Wayne said, every man has to have a creed or a code to live by. Hmm. 
And if you don't know what your philosophy is, or the five points that you care about in life, yeah, I, I would recommend doing that introspection first, coming yeah. up with a blueprint, and then taking that to five guys you respect, and asking them what theirs is, and sharing yours with them, and seeing what kind of feedback you get. Yeah, you're gonna find some amazing things in that connection. The guys you respect probably have thought about this too, or maybe they haven't, and they get an opportunity to think about it because you've brought it to them, and now you're closer buddies. You know, like. All that work that you that we have put off because we think we can't do that with other people, those are all missed opportunities for connection. They're all missed opportunities for more brotherhood. They're more missed opportunities for that great beer where you're sitting there with your buddy and you're talking about things that really matter to you. Yeah. <laughs> we miss those opportunities when we keep that all inside ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Man, I miss that right now, having a beer with the guys. Yeah, it's, totally. <laughs> I look forward to that when this is over. Yeah, but yeah. I, I mean, I reach out to the guys I care about now. I have a standing appointment every morning for just 15 or 20 minutes. It's a little huddle with a couple of guys I care about who I know can reflect back to me when I'm not getting my work done, when I'm not doing what I need to do with my life. Yeah, And that 15 minutes is invigorating because I have to show up every day and report on what I did yesterday. Yeah, And what I did yesterday is something I said I wanted to do. So it's just me reporting about me wanting to do my own life right. Yeah. And having guys who can hold me accountable to that. And every morning I get a boost because they're like, yeah, man, congratulations on getting that done. Or cool. you didn't get that done. What happened? Like, tell tell us, why did you, you know, why'd you fail at this thing? What's underneath it? Yeah. That's so really I, cool. You know, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, let's, let's just go through i think we're on pillar we just pillar four we'll just get a few touch-ups and then we'll wrap sure. it up in the next five six minutes or so yeah so heterosexuality and homophobia so basically this means that um you as a man you should be straight right and anybody who's not straight is not a man hmm. and the reason if you go deeper into that the reason that they're not a man is because they are like girls or like women. Mm. And so then we denigrate what it means to be feminine and we denigrate what it means to be homophobe, to be homosexual as well. Mm. And at the same time, I think what that is, is a deeper fear of the otherness within ourselves. Mm. Like if, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, sexuality is not just the, the binary, right? There's probably a, like Kinsey was even saying in the sixties, there's a range of sexuality that we all hold. And you might be extremely heterosexual, but think Brad Pitt has a nice smile. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Like right. that, And to allow yourself to do that means you get to actually examine the beauty of the world around you. Like mm. if you're so homophobic that when you show up to Florence and you see the David, the statue there, right. and you can't just glory in the beauty of that statue because it's a naked man and you're, you're committed to this man box, you're missing out on something beautiful in the world. The, so the next pillar is another part of that, and that's hypersexuality. So we use our oversexed imagery. Mm. We perform our hypersexuality in order to show how we are not homosexual. Mm. Right. So this performance is, it keeps us from having intimacy with our partners. It keeps us from being real with the guys around us, which means it keeps us all in closets. And then the final thing is aggression and control. And this one's really, I think, frustrating uh, because what it says is anybody who's not a man, you should be aggressive toward. You should try to control them. That means women. That means children. That means mm. gay men. Uh, anybody who you think is less than you. So it's this entitlement to violence as a means of control mm. of people who are not living up to your masculinity. Mm. And you can see how that has negative effects toward everybody you inflict pain on. But it also, again... It forces you to miss all these opportunities for connection. Yeah. So one, I guess one thing that I really am seeing from hearing you talk is this idea of collective, um, uh, collectivism, inclusion, inclusiveness. Um, I read in this introduction to this Buddhist text recently that the you know back in the day religion, not to take the conversation too far off course. But religion was this tool that we used, you know, oh, God, help me defeat my enemy. Oh, God, help me 
get enough rain and water to plant my crop and and kind of these you know using this force to uh enact strength over something and now it feels like religion again not to take the conversation too far off course is meant as a tool to help us learn how to work with each other to live with each other to be uh, you know we're, we live in a global society uh, to 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 collaborate and cooperate with each other and it, it sounds like masculinity in itself is this in a, or or what's happening with it is like almost this dismantling of you know pillars that we stood by for so long to be able to see the other and understand the other's point of view and perspective and embrace it and um meanwhile kind of straight identifying our own sense of self um is that fair yeah uh well i think my philosopher of choice is marcus aurelius and the stoic school of of philosophy Hmm. um they have there's two things that they say that i think are applicable to what you just said one is that we're all basically different fingers on the same hand. Hmm. We think that we're separate from each other, but we're not. The separation of you and me feels, it feels like we're separate people and separate things and separate organisms, but actually we're just a part of the same whole. Hmm. I think that's a really important point. The second uh, is that within your understanding of peace, um, if you try to make it extrinsic, if you try to believe that you can only find peace outside of yourself, Hmm. it's going to be really hard. You're going to be chasing that your whole life. The idea of there being this nirvana, this heaven, this godliness, this sense of um, awakening, that's going to be, it's going to happen when I eat the right food or pray the right way or go to the right place. Hmm. That means you're going to be doing that your whole life, constantly spinning your wheels. Hmm. The internal work on finding your inner peace, finding your the meditative tranquility within yourself is super important because when you do that work, that introspection, when you do that work, the next step for you is going to be, oh, I recognize that everyone else is like me. I am, I am one with all these other people. So that's been around for 2,000 years. Um, that concept actually goes back further than that. And a lot of what we think of Judeo-Christian religions is based on some of the the thoughts in that Stoic school. So I think your point of like religion has changed focus. Religion has changed the way we think about our world multiple times. It has led us in different ways. And masculinity has underpinned all of those. If masculinity is shifting, if what it means to be a man and powerful in this world is shifting— then of course religion is going to change, economy is going to change, our the way we do diplomacy is going to change, and government is going to change. Everything is changing when you take out this one underpinning philosophy of masculinity, and you go, okay, let's let's work on that. Let's mm. shift it. Let's change it. That is world changing stuff. Yeah, I I think it's happening uh, slowly but surely. Um. Dale, uh, we're going to wrap up here pretty soon, but I would like to do a quick, I mean, I want to thank you, first of all. This has been an incredibly valuable conversation. It's good to see your face, man. When we started that fraternity so long ago, it's just interesting to think about how how much we were doing then in this way already, like... really yeah it's good to yeah see that was um that was like tw- you know lo- not quite 20 years ago the balanced yeah. man m- movement at the sigma yeah. phi epsilon fraternity at smu it, yeah. was, it was good work it was a fun time we had a fraternity that was a great group of guys and, and we were all striving to be balanced men yeah yeah it was a beautiful thing we were doing yeah yeah so dale i'm gonna ask you uh to say the first word or first image that comes to a word that I'll give you. Okay. Yeah? Yep. Ready. Okay. Man. Opportunity. Woman. Fullness. Masculine. Nothingness. Feminine. Beautiful. Strength. Fungible. 
What? Fungible. I don't know that word. <laughs> uh, malleable. Oh, cool. Fungible. Fungible. Weakness. Uh, first thought, blank. Have... Leader. Open. Success. Art. Health. Sorry? Health. Health. Balance. Sex. The dance. And lastly, you. The Renaissance man. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Dale, thank you so much for your time and for your work. Um, let's keep the conversation going. Okay. All right, man. Talk soon. Yeah. Bye. Dale Thomas Vaughn in the house. He and I met in uh, 2003 um, as uh, new pledges at the uh, Sigma Phi Epsilon Fraternity in uh, at Southern Methodist University where I got my bachelor's. And uh, Livin' in the Flesh, it's a pleasure to see what well, Livin' in the Flesh through FaceTime. It's a pleasure to see him, to know him. He uh, is the true Renaissance man. He's got the Better Man Conference. Um, he, uh, You can find him at, uh, at NextGent on Twitter. Um, all the all the social stuff you can find on the website, but he's just a really wonderful guy with so many wonderful things to say about what it means to be a man. So I just want to thank you guys all for listening to the Mankind Podcast. I hope this finds you safe, healthy, and well. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram uh, at Scoot Magruder. Uh, the Mankind Podcast is just a treat to fill your airwaves and hopefully your being safe and healthy and remember don't go quietly into the night <laughs> <laughs>